Hi, I'm Forrest Griffin. Brian Carraway. And Lisa Tate. What's up, guys? This is Joseph Benavidez, UFC Flyweight. Hi, this is Greg Jackson, and you're listening to It's MMA Zing, and that is an amazing pun. Get it? Like MMA, but amazing? Amazing. Radio. Welcome to It's M Amazing Radio. I'm Dr. Law. Kid Presentables here. DJ hey, Marcus. Yeah. Oh, sorry, but I've, I've talked over you. God damn it. Uh, DJ Marcus here also. Greetings and salutations. Uh, now, 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 Kid Presentables is going to be a little jealous. I'll let you talk without talking. No, it's, it's all good. I'm a little stuffy right now. Going through some allergies. Um, unfortunately, I can't think of any non sponsorship sponsor plugs, uh-huh. but uh, I got allergies, guys. Uh, yeah. We can talk about Trader Joe's some more. I want to spend a bunch of money there on Saturday. Um, so uh, we have no Lavender Gooms this week. He's out trying to see what's left of uh, James Harden's soul after we took it from him yesterday. That's right. No, he's just, he got shit going on. Um, this week on the show, we're going to talk about this card that took place in S- Santiago, Chile, I want to say. Chile. I, I want to say right. we went to Chile. I'm a hope Santiago. Yep, Santiago, Chile. Where, quite frankly... um. It was a good time for the people, man. They had a good time, despite the main event being a little iffy. And they were fucking hyped, which a lot of times you see when a UFC goes to a place for a first time. There was a nice, loud crowd, which was kind of cool. It's cool. We're talking about that. We're going to talk about some TV rights stuff that's going on, which, weirdly enough, is like my favorite shit in the world to talk about. I like live for this weird shit. It's you love the business weird. side. The money Get, stuff is... No. Oh, I love the money stuff. It's my favorite part. Um, talk a little about that. Our favorite MMA journalist having a new job, kind of being related to some of the news we're getting out of there. Um, we're going to talk about Bellator 200, which is double tape delayed, I guess would be the way of putting it, because we got our usual tape delay, but then also it's in England. So there's that also, which they still haven't found a way for us to watch it live, which fucking cracker jack job. This one's like, I find this to be slightly more excusable. (laughs) Like, all right, you're in another country. I'll give you a tape delay on this one. But it's like. You're literally down the street. Why do I have to wait three hours to watch this? Literally when it's in San Jose at times, you're just like, God. Damn it. You're kidding me. I'm pretty um, sure I can plug some stuff around and get a live feed going here. Yeah. Um, we're going to talk about this UFC card in Liver- Liverpool. Yeah, Liverpool, um, which has one awesome fight and then other stuff happening, too. Um, Man, you're deep. really down on your boy, Neil Magny, huh? How unceremonious. Oh, I didn't, know, I didn't know Neil got a fight. I thought Neil was still waiting. Oh, they gave Neil a guy with no Wikipedia page. Okay. Because Neil was if – they if they kept that Neil versus um, – what's the name of the kid? Uh, the Icelandic dude. Help me out. Connor's the buddy. the Viking guy? No. Yeah. Uh, no, but, um, you know, Gunner. Gunner, Gunner Nelson. Nelson. Oh. That would that would have been awesome, but Gunner got hurt, so kind of sucks. Um, mm. you got Mr. Finland, Makwan Amirkani on there, too, so. Um, anyway, we're gonna talk a little bit about that. Uh, then we're gonna do, uh, Memoirs of a Fight Fan, which I, Mark came up with. Favorite winning ceremony, favorite good. victory. Mark, Mark's forgot what it is. We're off <laughs> to good stuff. That was it. That was it. I mean, it wasn't yeah. eloquently stated, but that was the gist of it. Um, basically, best post-fight celebration. We're saying. Or yeah, that's it. Speed. Yeah, okay. perfect. Uh, a little stuff we like, which I guarantee you is going to have uh, everybody's favorite Merc with a mouth uh, being talked about. His new movie that came out. Um, but yeah, let's get into it. UFC in Santiago, Chile. 11,000 people showed up for this motherfucker. Um, God, why am I cursing? Um, 
Kamaro Usman versus Damian Maya was supposed to be Kamaro Usman versus Santiago Ponzinibbio, which uh, is really was really unfortunate for really all parties involved. Ponzinibbio is actually um, from Chile. Um, actually, no, he's not from Argentina. I'm making shit up, but whatever. It was Santiago for Santiago. Yeah, Santiago (laughs) for Santiago. Good point, Stefan. Um, Got hurt, um, which sucks because he's been on a hell of a run with lots of knockouts. And uh, Kamara Usman instead took on Damian Maya, which props to Damian Maya for taking on yet another wrestler. Uh, Keeps taking these wrestlers that he can't take down. And when this fight was over, Mark, he's uh, 0 for 49 his last three fights against wrestlers. Yeah, that is um, quite a stat right Yeah, there. Damian Maya aside, because we all kind of know where Damian Maya is at this point. Kamara Usman didn't have the performance I think a lot of people wanted from him. He did also break both of his hands in the middle of the fight, but I don't know. Do we? I mean, he beat the guy who just fought for a title like six, seven months ago, right? I mean, I, mean, I think we, we talked about it before, right? Like, when Maya loses, he I'm, I'm looking through his record now. Besides that Marquardt punch, the dude doesn't, you know, get knocked out. So when he fights these high level level grapplers that are going to basically negate the whole ground game and just strike with him, he ends up losing decisions, right? And uh, I guess none of us really saw this fight. Bob kind of zoned out <laughs> during this one. I fell asleep I at like nine fifteen on the West Coast. Fell asleep and woke up during the post fight show. And Steph, did you I see? Mean, it? I, I caught the entirety of it. So. Okay. Oh, I mean, oh, Stefan, tell us what happened. <laughs> I mean, uh, essentially, what it looks like is it essentially wasn't all too different from that Tyron Woodley fight. Like, um, it just kind of was this giant stalemate. And like you guys mentioned, uh, Usman, he kind of, uh, he ultimately revealed that he broke one, if not both of his hands during this fight. Uh, he, I think he was saying in the second and third rounds respectively. So pretty much right early on to the middle of the fight. So that's kind of his defense of how it looked the way it did, but it really, really looked like that Woodley fight is Damien would box at a distance, hit nothing telegraph a single leg from super far away simply not be able to do anything else with it and then occasionally he'd like butt scoot and do the you know please come down to me you know and i think the one take that i really agreed with um while just kind of watching the fight was i believe it was tyron woodley's take was you know he was saying you know i got this guy in my camp named ben Askren, and he goes for those single legs too and he's not super explosive he's not super strong but he always chains it. He always has a second and third move and a fourth move. So they're just kind of critiquing, you know, Damien Maya, he's closer to retirement as it is. So can you, you don't can't expect too much of him at this point, but at the same time, I think it's a fair complaint. He's fought a lot of wrestlers. He never seems to have a plan B, you know, like props on Kamaru props on Woodley for being able to stall Maya. But for Maya's great grappling acumen, it's pretty much true. He never really learned how to do takedowns. There were guys he was bigger than he could just simply bully down, but he doesn't know how to chain takedowns. He doesn't know how to go from a single leg, push it against the fence. Cause that's what I love about Ben Askren, right? Is he's just relentless. Habib is kind of the same way is if they don't get, they might not get that first move. They might not get that second move, but they'll go to a third, a fourth, a fifth. And it's, it's really high level wrestling. Sure. But just the fact that Maya, who's such a good grappler could never really add to that takedown. It's really limited him. And it's one of those you know, you've seen how this fight goes, Damien. You know exactly what it looks like when you fight these power wrestlers. So it's like, what are you coming in there for? Why are you accepting this fight? What do you really expect to go different if you're not changing any of your game plan? Um, Usman, it's it, it, it's just his hype still feels muted to me because it's it's 
it's that thing of like why people get mad at Woodley too is it's one thing to negate good offense, but for people to believe in you, they got to see you assert your will. It's not enough to cancel the will of another guy, like for people to get hyped on you. So at least Usman, though, he was very humble in this one. So in the other one where you could kind of get a little frustrated with him and his like 30% comment where he was being real brash, he kind of was soft-spoken in this one in his post-fight. So I think that helps with his perception after. Um, You know, he keeps winning, though, so he's going to move up the ranks. He's probably going to get a loser of one of these upcoming high, like high-profile welterweight fights. You know, with the interim title coming or this next one in Liverpool, so he he's he's knocking, he's getting right on deck. But Man, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to see stuff. I, 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 him versus Wonder Boy. I think I saw that fight when it was called Woodley versus Wonder Boy. That one sounds I, like it'd be bad. <laughs> yeah, I did want to piggyback off some of the stuff Steph, Steph said because I, I didn't get to see the fight, so I only got clips. But I, I liked a lot of the things you mentioned, stuff. But another thing, when you say like switching put like you know going chaining your your takedowns is like high level that's not even high level that's like that's elite caliber because we've seen really established wrestlers not be able to to pull that stuff off like you look at a, a guy I, I always go back to this like a cost check he's a great wrestler and his whole game was just power doubles and just blasting through people so i mean i'm not really surprised you know at this late in the game that maya hasn't gotten those skills i agree with you he needs them he needs that that other kind of sharp knife in the tool shed to be able to work those two together to get the fights where he needs to be. But what I liked in this fight is, um, while Maya yeah, didn't get any takedowns and it's not surprising Usman's, uh, you know, takedown defense was, you know, of elite status, but there is one on the highlights and maybe you saw us, Bob, Maya's fucking knee deep in a double leg. He has both hands around the thing and you just see Usman sprawl out, get the underhooks, I mean, and that's the kind of chain wrestling, right? And this is the reverse style is that, like, not only does the dude fucking sprawl out, he fucking digs those underhooks in. He pushes the whole thing away because that, that one double leg, I was like, damn, Maya's in so fucking deep. The takedown's already completed. He seems to turn the corner. But Usman's just ability to to get the hips out and push out, I, I thought was really, um was you know, really showed his high level of wrestling. But I ultimately agree with you, Steph, like, this was kind of to be if he got a big knockout here, that would really just elevate him to the next uh, the next level, really knocking on the, the you know, getting the next title shot. Um, but the first thing I said, was like, it, it's hard to do that against Maya. You know, the guy's not good at stand up, but he's good enough to survive against Anderson Silva. And we've seen all the, the strikers that he goes up against and he loses those fights, but he doesn't get knocked out. He doesn't take a ton of damage. He just he can't get the output there. So, yeah, I think we're starting to see the ceiling with Maya, which was. Really unfortunate, right, Bob? Because we were at, at welterweight. He came in. He was wrestling dudes. He's getting everyone to the ground. We're like, shit, I didn't know this guy could wrestle so well. And I yeah, think um, his wrestling's gotten better. It's just not at the Woodley and Usman levels. And that's where it needs to be for him to be champion. Yeah, I don't... Uh, him taking fights on short notice. Ariel pointed out when he took Woodley, not on short notice, but like a, a, bri- like a bit of an abridged camp where he didn't get a chance to go and train with like the bunch of wrestlers he likes to before these camps. Like... In these camps, when he has time, he didn't get a chance to do it against Woodley. He didn't get a chance to do it this time against uh, uh, Usman. Not to say he would have won either of those fights necessarily, but, like, he's had more success. And also, homie's, like, 40 years old. So, like, maybe we stop putting him in against these young killers. And, like, he saved their ass here. I hope they paid him a nice uh, a nice check for doing so. But I know they didn't because apparently Yair Rodriguez, all he said was, okay, if you want me to fight a guy not in the top ten, could you give me more money? I think that's a good point. I, I'm giving him some grief, but at the end of the day, he did save the fight. 
you know? So I said, well, why is he taking this fight? You know, he was doing the company a solid in that one. Maybe he saw the writing on the wall himself. I mean, we like Damian Meyer, right? I think any, any criticism we give him is just because we wanted more from the guy is all. Cause when he can't get it to the ground, he's an absolute demon, you know? But yeah, um, there's yeah. the, uh, Ben folks, classic joke where he keeps waiting for the Damian Meyer, uh, VHS box set to come out. M uh, Jiu-Jitsu for MMA with Damian Maya. He's waiting for that to come out for everybody to start following it, which I look forward to that day as well, quite frankly. I think I remember when uh, Neil Magny got worked by Damian Maya and then Damian Maya announced he had a seminar and then Neil Magny said, can I go? And then Damian Maya's like, yeah, you should. Like, you're welcome. And then Neil Magny went and learned stuff from him. I remember, nice. Damian Maya's like the nicest guy in MMA. Everybody, you got, like, there's a bunch of pictures of him and Usman like shaking hands and being all respectful and stuff. Nobody has any bad things to say about Damian Maya. It's true. So maybe maybe Anderson except that one fight, which was weird. Um, all right. Uh, we got to talk about Tatiana Suarez because I now I'm not the only one who's seen her fight, um, which I don't I, even remember. I don't I remember her she fight. Was. I don't remember the fight against Pereira, quite frankly. Here's I the thing. Real quick, I just want to chime in. I didn't know who she was, and I swear to God, I thought I watched that Ultimate Fighter season. I thought I watched it. She was know, the number I, one pick who ran through the show. Well, yeah, how did I just I, not remember her? Mike but, watched it, I think, because yeah. Mike was talking about how Joanna was looking real shitty in that, uh, in the like the coaches stuff. She was coming off as real bullyish. Um, yeah, she was Ta just mean. It was, uh, Tatiana, she was just Suar mean. Tatiana Suarez, um, which I saw her tough finale fight where she bulldozed Amanda Cooper. Which I mean, okay, you know, I take with that from what take you know what you will from that. But she, uh, if you don't know her story, uh, she was the number one ranked. Uh, hundred, uh, hundred, uh, num uh, the number one ranked freestyle wrestler in the United States at fifty-five kilos, which ballpark one hundred and twenty pounds. I want to say, it's like two point. That's two point two. So ballpark. And then uh, she had a neck injury and went, and it kind of derailed her Olympic aspirations. But then when she went and got the MRI and CAT scan, uh, she had thyroid cancer. So there was other problems. Uh, she thankfully came back from that, really turned her shit around, got healthy, and uh, started studying jujitsu and. Uh, Slowly got into mixed martial arts. And she was a big favorite against Alexa Grasso. And that was for good reason. Because, man, um, Alexa's a really good fighter. And she's young. And I still think there's a lot of potential there. But this shit went to the ground, Marcus. And there was uh, there was no hope. Because uh, Suarez just ran her entire game on her real quick. <laughs> yeah. I, I Unfortunately, I didn't see this fight. I really should have made the effort to see, you know, a, a two-minute and 45-second fight. Um, but, yeah, I mean, she's – with this win, I mean, Alexa Grasso – well, she's had some stumbles in her, um, you know, UFC career so far. Uh, this was a big win for her to really kind of cement herself, and I think she obviously has a style that is going to uh, bring a lot of interesting matchups in this division. I mean, we already have a couple really good wrestlers in the division, like Carla Esparza and then Rano Marcos, and there's a couple other girls that you know really know how to grapple. Uh, but I don't know if any any of them really have, or then even uh, uh, Bobby, who, who's that uh, that young prospect that uh, Team Alpha Male? What was her name again? Um, Start with a C, right? Cynthia. Cynthia yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, they have a lot of interesting grapplers. Which in that case, you know, it's always fun to see two high level grapplers go at it. And then even when you have the, the clash of styles with a striker, which we have a lot in this division as well. Um, so I think there's a lot of interesting matchups to make with her. I think she's an interesting piece on the board to play with. And I don't really know where they fit her in right now. Was Alexa Grasso ranked before this? I don't know if she was. I don't know if Tatiana's in the well, ranking. Tatiana now. didn't say, like, I mean, she, and, like, I'm going to talk about this in the next fight, too. She wasn't exactly out there saying, give me the champion. 
She no, said I don't she would think just she's like, ready for that. But she said, "I want a top, I want a top five, a top ten fighter." Which three wins in the UFC? I don't know how deep we think one fifteen is. Um, for the love of God, Angela Hill was talking about how she got pushed out of the rankings by a hundred and twenty four pound um, Mackenzie Dern the other day. She was pretty pissed about that. So oh, Mark, like we, for I the mean, record. Um, I do recall, I think she was 14 going in versus Alexa Grasso at nine, because I remember the post fight, they're kind of saying, welcome to the top 10. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, um, at this point, I heard uh, Cole, uh, Carolina's name come up as a, uh, if you re- if you want to give her the fast track. That's a uh, tough first. one. Yeah, that is, that is yeah. a tough step up. But I mean, this is what, you know, she's potentially getting in the title picture. I don't think she's quite there yet. There's a lot of girls that have put in a lot of time. Uh, that are ahead of her, and she just needs to, you know, get a couple of those scalps under her, uh, her retriment. But once she, I mean, Alexa Grasso is a good start. That's a good, you know, we got a good train going here. So I'm really interested to see where they position her next. Um, I don't, it doesn't seem like she, I, was came out I like, I like Felice. Maybe Felice. Felice would be good because Felice is hot right now, too. Yeah. Um, a common opponent in Alexa Grasso. Uh, yes, I mean, there's a lot of interesting things they can do with her. So I'm really excited to see. You know how she's going to be slotted into the rest of the division, and you know just how long until she starts knocking at the champion's door, and who's even going to be champion? Then you know, I think who's do we know who Rose is fighting next? Does she have an opponent? I don't know. I don't. Isn't Tisha? Tisha's facing. Tisha's facing Joanna. Joanna, which I don't like that fight for Tisha, but if Tisha gets it, she deserves oh, it. Quite yeah. frankly, I think I don't think it's been booked, but I think it's widely assumed Jessica Andrade is next. Line, oh yeah, I, she beat somebody, I right? It, I just don't think it's been booked. But yeah. I believe it's pretty widely considered that's next. Yeah. So we obviously That'd have some fight. matchups coming up that are gonna, you know, probably solidify a couple of number one contenders. But I think she's right here. She's right there, you know. And I think yeah, a Felicia fight makes a lot of sense. And then going from there, fighting someone who's fought for the belt, and then you get that, you get those two wins, and I think you're ready for a, a title shot. So she's not that far, you know. 2019, end of 2018, depending on how the calendar works out, she could be fighting for a title. Wouldn't it be insane? Yeah, and uh, I didn't mean to like just like blow past the fact that Alexa Grasso got beat here, but she went in as a massive underdog, and she's still so young. And I don't know what she was gonna do in this fight for me to think like Steph. I don't know what was gonna happen in this one for me to think like like. I mean, she could have, I guess, stuffed a few, stuffed the takedown, but. I don't know what she, I mean. She was in there with this. She was just outclassed. She wasn't ready. For she she was. was like, um, and you know me. I'm the resident giant Alexa Grasso fan. She's one of the few fighters I follow in social media. She had a really nice post after she lost the fight. You know, um, she's a very humble, hardworking person. Just kind of the persona she seems to have. She just had a message out there saying, you know, no excuses at all. She knew she got beat and she was so frustrated after the fight because she knew the tactical errors she made. Um, and that was some of the breakdown of the fights is she made kind of novice mistakes on the ground where she she turned the wrong direction when Tatiana grabbed wrist control. She moved right into the choke as, a, as instead of defending it. So her thing was she's heard the criticisms. Her coach told her everything she did wrong and how she was just fuming to get back in the gym to correct exactly what went wrong. You know, it kind of made me think of that uh, tough season um, three, I believe, is right after Tito's guy got choked with the uh, triangle defense. And like in that moment, you remember Tito was like, I know you're so mad, but let me just teach you right now. Like he just wanted to make it a teaching moment so bad. That's kind of the vibe that uh, Grasso put out there. So like you said, she's super young. Um, I will say, though, her being kind of mauled like that, her being a little timid from the get go of the fight. I kind of put this out there after the last loss. You know, it's one of those things. It was her first loss of her career. It's tough to say. But 
I'm going to keep floating it out there. She might need a better gym. Her her low yeah. low gym is her and Irina Aldana was there too. And Irina Aldana was a hot undefeated prospect, but we've seen Irina. She's dropped a couple and since she showed up in the UFC as well. Yeah. So it's one of those things like they came in as these undefeated prospects and they've been having trouble at this level. Um, it could be a situation of, you know, big fish still pond. I understand the loyalty of camps. You want to take, you know, you want to dance with a partner that you came with. Um, I think Alexa Dra Grasso's dad is a part of the Lobo MMA gym. So that's another factor. Um, but I'm, I'm feeling this way since I've, I'm such fans of them, you know, and I just want to see them do the best. It might be a consideration they need to make in the future to just get to that next level. Yeah, that's a fair point because, you know, I mean, we're going to talk about a guy later on the show, uh, Wonderboy Thompson, who does train with the family. But he also, you know, well, now it's family, too. But he now he trains at, you know, uh, Sarah, you know, with, with Matt Sarah and Ray Longo and Weidman and them boys in New York. Like he recognized, you know, I need to get better. Me just, you know, training with, you know, my dad is not going to be enough. And, you know, uh, what's his name is training in Sacramento. Who also trains with his dad? Um, what's his name? Sage Northcutt. You know, you gotta like sometimes you, you know you're a young fighter. You have time to develop, and maybe try some places out. You know, I, I think the only fun. tough part is right, like Alexa Grasso. When we say she has to go to a new camp, we're saying she basically has to come to America, right? I mean, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of camps in Mexico where she's going to get the high level training that she obviously needs. And I think the regimen that she needs to work on the most obviously is going to be wrestling and grappling. And it's just Mexico is not really a hotbed for those kind of combat sports. So it's going to be hard for her to get those training. And then I think it's a good point, Steph mentioned that. Like if if her father is literally training her and kind of using her as like a marquee fighter for the gym to kind of get around and be like, this is the kind of quality athletes we produce, someone who's, you know, talented enough to go to the UFC. I think I think it makes it tougher, right? When your family's involved, like I have to leave you guys and go to an because I think it's easy for Wonder Boy, right? He didn't have to leave too far to go to Weidman, right? Like maybe he's taking the L train or some shit instead of another one, but it's kind of in the same area. But I mean, Alexa Grasso will have to relocate. And ultimately, I think that's what she will have to do. Because I agree with Steph. I think no, I didn't hear any of her post-fight stuff, but that is the exact mindset you want of a, a, a young prospect. Someone who doesn't just get completely deflated now that they've lost a few, that understands that this is a growing process, that you're going to learn a lot with these losses and see the holes in your game and, and really get exposed in those ways. And that's what's going to make you ultimately a better fighter if you're able to recognize those things and realize that I need to better these aspects of my game. Because um, we've seen other, I mean, we talk about Joanna, right? In her first fight against Rose, she didn't take any responsibility for that loss. She said, "Well, it was a bad weight cut. There's something wrong with my training or my mentality. I just had a bad night." And it's that's not really what you want to see from a fighter that loses. You want them to see, like, I made mistakes. I know where I made those mistakes, and I can get the training to fix those mistakes. It's really if your mindset's not right, that's something that you can't really get out of. She's only 24 years old. I think she's gonna have a long career ahead of her. I don't think these losses are gonna define her career. But we'll ultimately see. Time will tell. Uh, yeah, uh, we'll see what happens with Miss Grasso. Still very young. Still some time for her to make some moves. Um, so Dominic Reyes is somebody we should probably make mention of because this was a fun fight. It took about it was about three minutes of him and Jared Cannonier swinging. But uh, you make take notice of him because he is in the class called two hundred five. Yep. That is the weight class that has been on the side of milk cartons lately. Have saying, have yeah. you seen prospects? Have you seen future lifeblood for this division? Yeah, exactly, Steph. Making a good point there because he is uh, he's four and zero in the UFC now. No, sorry, three and zero in the UFC. All three finishes. Um, 
He's 9-0 overall. Came up through some King of the Cage, Gladiator Challenge, Le Legacy Fighting Alliance. A bunch of places you've heard of, at least. Um, he's a big boy. Six foot four, uh, 205 pounds. And uh, after the fight, he called out... Uh, the gentleman he called out was Jordan Johnson, which I don't know who the fuck that was. And I, I had to like, I was yeah, gonna say, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. And he's ranked number fifteen in the two hundred five, which really sounds yeah. like Dominic Reyes is on the slow train here, making sure Dominic, making sure John Jones is gone for good. Let's wait for John Jones to be I mean, gone for oh, good. Let's be real. Like, did you hear his? Uh, did you see his call out? It was funny to me when he made the call out because it wasn't like an aggressive thing. It was like he called him out out of confusion. He's like. Jordan Johnson, I'll fight you. He's like, this guy was calling me out when I was fighting in a different organization. And like, I don't get why I can't fight you. And he's like, well, I'm here now. So I guess I can fight you. Like, he's like, all right, that was a weird that you were calling me out. But yeah, uh, take yeah, it. Yeah, so I mean, I mean, no fuck it, why see, not, man? I don't want to see this guy get wrestled fucked by anyone. You know, we, we need lifeblood. Cormier's given us his timetable for retirement. Yeah, I mean, he let's ride, let's guy ride this out for a year, maybe. You know, we get rid of Cormier, retires. Maybe John Jones is that heavyweight fighting Brock. You know, man, like things clean up a little bit. You make your way towards the top at that point. But a big win for him. Um, I really don't think anything else worth this card this card was worth mentioning if anybody else wants to I mean, I heard there was a bunch of good fights, but uh, I didn't. Yeah, I don't have it. I didn't see any of it. So. I mean, I know Andrea Andrea KGB Lee and Ver uh, Veronica Macedo had a good fight. That's what I heard, but did anybody catch it? Yeah. Oh shit. Hello? Yeah, um, yeah, I wanted to give a shout out to that one because I like KGB. She's one of the ones, the handful out there who I did watch in Invicta. Um, if you don't know her, I don't think she did for the UFC because of the uniform thing. But like her stick in Invicta was she was Andrea KGB Lee. She came out like she had like the sickle and hammer of like the communist flag because she had the red and yellow top on. And then you find out she's like a blonde cowgirl from like Midwest America. And I'm like, oh, you are not remotely Russian, but I don't know. So therefore, I don't know what KGB or the whole Russian gimmick was. Um, but that said, she's uh, she's actually she's got um, she's a very fun fighter to watch. She reminds me of Carolina, where she kind of has that like adorable, wholesome demeanor and personality about her. But, you know, she's a pretty serious kickboxer um, by all accounts. It seems, you know, she she kind of won. She was uh supposedly she was the touted prospect of the two, but she definitely looked to have the octagon jitters. Um, was definitely tentative. Definitely the moment seemed a little big for her, and she pretty much admitted to as much. And you know, even her post fight interview, she's not much for call outs. You know, no 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 calling out names for me. You know, just let me work my way up. <laughs> like she's got that real can do attitude. So I hope she does well. Yeah. All right. Um. So the UFC is gonna be uh another card as I mentioned. These were like three cards between last week and these next two coming up that if you combine, it would have been a really good fight night. But instead, they're kind of thin. And we're going to talk about this Liverpool card in a minute. But first, I want to get into some of the news of the week. Um, so um, we mentioned that ESPN, I think we talked about how ESPN pays paying the UFC $150 million for yep, per year for 15 events that will stream on ESPN+. Plus. Which may or may not entirely take the place of Fight Pass in terms of Fight Library, which just a proper fucking of uh, Invicta at that point. Um, and uh, ignoring the fact that if I'm a UFC fighter, I'm doing some math and realizing, all right, this their UFC is making a million dollars just from the TV part of it, and they're paying me thirty-two grand. That aside, um, we wondered um, how serious is ESPN getting into MMA, and uh, seems like it's pretty serious because they just bought the most important journalist in MMA. 
They got Ariel Helwani to sign up starting in June. Ariel is going to do as what it sounds like. He's going to do the MMA hour, you know, a version of it on Mondays with a whole bunch of, you know, it's going to be called the Ariel Helwani show or something with a whole bunch of guests as usual, basically creating news for everybody, you know, creating content for everybody else's website. He's still going to do that on Mondays. Uh, he's also going to do uh, a show with Chael because they do have Chael under uh, under contract over there um, working for ESPN. He's going to do a weekly podcast with Chael, which will be behind the um, the ESPN Plus paywall, I guess, which Chael and Ariel actually have a pretty good rapport. I mean, whenever they have interviews, it's actually kind of fun uh, because Chael spits his bullshit and Ariel you know, leans into it a little bit and you know plays off of him a little bit, but not really must-see viewing. And he's going to be on ESPN, um, all, you know, breaking news and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a big deal in general that Disney's getting behind MMA at all. And I kind of like when Ariel was on on ESPN show last week, I kind of was just like, oh, this is weird. He's never on. He has only other time he's been on. This is when they fired his ass uh, when they they got him banned. So and then like the next day they announced this. So, um I guess, uh, I don't know. I guess immediate reaction from me was, I wonder if New York Rick is going with him because that's my favorite part of the MMA hour. But, uh, Stefan, I guess, like, I don't know, congrats to the big homie Ariel Hawaii. Um, New York Rick is pretty polarizing, so I think that's funny that uh, he's your favorite part. People are pretty uh, take it or leave it with that guy. But anyways, um, when, I, when I, was, I was happy for him because I remember it was just like a week or two ago with the MMA beat was saying goodbye to Jeff Wagenheim, who uh, was courted by ESPN. And uh, my first thought then was, you know, congrats, uh, Mr. Wagenheim. But with all due respect, why are they not hiring Ariel? Because I was like, you're, this is the better reporter of you two. When they basically looked at that show and was like, who is the least knowledgeable on this panel? And where is a Hawaiian shirt the best? That guy does. Let's get him on the I mean, he'll, he'll, he he looks he's going to look better on Pardon the Interruption next to those other old guys mm, that they keep around at ESPN and those other talking heads who have uh, years in the business. But I'm happy for Ariel. He we've said, You may as well call the Journalist of the Year Award the Ariel Hawani. You know? And I'm sure whenever he does hang it up, that's what it will be named because, you know, people, whoever gives him a hard time, I think is a troll. If you are a critic of Ariel Helwani, I do not believe you actually have a valid opinion. I just think you're trolling because that's the quality of journalist I find him to be. So I'm not happy about ESPN Plus. I do not want another subscription service in my life, but it seems the way we're going. So, hey, Ariel, he's he's put a lot of he's put a lot of mileage into this. So him making it to the big leagues after they've cut off so many or not cut off sorry but they uh let go of so many talented employees that were over at espn these last couple years um good to see something positive in in the other direction yeah you know i mean the perception with espn has always been like if they if it doesn't air on their network they don't really give as much uh attention to the sports so hockey fans you know always talk about how like hockey gets no love because they don't you can't see hockey on espn and, uh, you know, many other sports like that, quite frankly. Um, so it's, you know, they're going to put money behind MMA. So it's good to see them spending money on Ariel. I just uh, got so- one thing is if you're going to charge a damn subscription service, you better fix your goddamn like ESPN video player. The ESPN video app is the jankiest of all apps since apps became a thing. That thing crashes frequently, often. And it's like it it's like it has an AI system that knows when's the most pivotal moment, as I mentioned. 
during a Oregon game. There was a literal game-winning shot, shot at the buzzer, no time left on the clock. The app decided to crash with the ball arcing in the middle of the air. I took me 20 minutes to find out whether it went in or not. ESPN has been garbage for so many years. That's my rant. Rant over. Yeah, watch ESPN is trash. Uh... So um, this is uh, something else that happened this week, which is actually related to all this TV rights stuff. It actually happened today, where last week you heard there was rumors, and this is actually related to the UFC. I'll get to the point of why, where there are currently uh, two television shows on USA Network, two wrestling programs, Monday Night Raw and um, SmackDown Live, which airs on Tuesdays. And um, if people have been paying attention to this TV rights stuff, which I live for this shit, as I mentioned, um, the only thing that has value at this point um, is appointment viewing, which is p- things people will watch live. And it's pretty much a handful of shows like Game of Thrones and like Walking Dead and then um, live sports. And the only, li- and you know, live content in general, which is why you see NBC running these fucking musicals on Sunday nights, which are live because they're trying to, for- you're trying to get people to watch at a specific time, which is damn near impossible at this point between DVRs and streaming and all that shit. So uh, the UFC and WWE are in a very advantageous position, both of them, because UFC's TV deal is up, uh, and so is the WWE's. And while WWE is not a sport, it is a live, it's live content. So they, uh, NBC Universal, which owns the USA Network, decided that they're not going to renew SmackDown because not because they didn't like having SmackDown on Tuesday nights, is because they recognized they couldn't afford it because they started paying threefold what they were paying right now for Monday Night Raw. Because Monday Night Raw is a reliable three hours of live content that they get a few millions of people to watch. What happened today, basically, is that uh, Fox, um, this current incarnation of Fox, after half of it's been sold to Disney, um, has decided they're going to pay a billion dollars, roughly, over the next five years to air Tuesday Night Smackdown Live, which will now be on Fridays, starting next October. And... um, there's only, there's a finite number of dollars to go around, and UFC still looking for another partner in addition to ESPN Plus, and the word on the street is Fox is Fox does want to keep the UFC, but they want to keep them to the tune of 175 million dollars. So that's pretty much the UFC's, I guess, where they're playing off of at this point. Um. So yeah, Marcus, uh, as I mentioned, it kind of doesn't matter that we all recognize that this has gotten worse. Um, and wrestling fans will tell you the same thing about Monday Night Raw and SmackDown, where you, it's just unwatchable. It's so goddamn long. Um, it's just too much content, quite frankly, to thin out, thins out the product. We're running through the same thing in MMA and the UFC. It seems like it doesn't fucking matter because these TV networks are so hard up for content, live content. Um, shit, man, there's a reason they sold this thing for $4 billion. They thought they could make it back into, you know, they thought they could make it back. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting The because um, I feel like what you're getting with WWE is you're getting a lot of live content, but you're also going to see their biggest stars, right? Like SmackDown's going to have the title, con- the, the guy that's holding the title. He might not wrestle on the show. He might come out and cut a promo, but I think the fan base, and I don't know because I don't really keep up with wrestling that much, but the fan base, and, and also because it's more narrative driven than the UFC um, I think there's a lot of value in that product because they have these guys that they're marketing a lot, like uh, you know Finn Balor and Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins and all the guys that you know that get people interested. They're going to be on SmackDown ESP, every week. 
Yeah, and ESPN when when you, when you get the UFC fight nights, you're not you're not getting Conor McGregor. You know, you're not going to get Nate Diaz. You're going to be getting their offshoot. And I think that's and, and the two things about the, the two different, you know, entertainment sports stuff is that I feel they both have ebb and flows, right? There, there are times when MMA is hot, you know, when Connor's fighting, when Ronda was fighting, it was really hot. When GSP and Anderson were doing their thing, it was really hot. And there's ebbs and flows to that. And right now we're kind of on a downtick, right? Uh, Ronda's no longer fighting. Connor has been inactive for over a year. We don't know when he's coming back. Nate hasn't fought. A lot of their big stars haven't really been popping up. Their biggest stars haven't been popping up that much, and even their smaller uh, stars have been a little bit more infrequent. Where I think when you, when you get WWE, you're going to get those big stars. You know that there is a fan base that's going to follow it every week because they want the storylines. Whether or not you know the hardcores watch it every week because you know it, the product isn't as good as you know as they envision it to be, or what it's compared to to like NXT, which I like their product a lot more. It's shorter, it's condensed. You get more action for the, the time you put into it. Um, but ultimately, it, it is kind of a gamble, and I feel. Like at least with the WWE, you know you're going to be getting certain, you know, stars that are going to bring the audience in. And with uh, UFC, I really don't know how the ESPN cards are going to shake out. I don't know how. I mean, we talked about it almost every year since the UFC has been ramping up more and more events. And it seems like with this ESPN deal, if they're also doing a Fox deal, and you're damn sure they're going to still do pay-per-view because that's the one thing where these big stars are going to actually pay out for them. The Connors and the Nates and the GSPs, this is where they're going to make the monies on pay-per-view. So they're not going to get rid of that model yet. It's just really, are they going to dilute the product even more? Because on this very show, we talked about we're in the middle of, you know, a typhoon of UFC fights and there's only certain things we're picking out of them that we're interested in. There's a lot of fights that we're just not that interested in. This has been going on for years. So I ultimately don't know when ESPN spending all this money, when Fox is looking to spend, you know, a hundred million dollars. I feel like there's more of a risk on some of those contracts. And with WWE, they're paying a lot of money for that, but you know, you're going to get those stars that people are interested in and people are going to tune in because they have an attachment to these people. Um, UFC, I don't know if they're going to get that as much. You're going to get the UFC and it's a cage fight. And I feel like that novelty has worn off, you know, since Spike left. So I don't know. It's it's really interesting I'd, I'd how it's going to play out. I mean, I'm doing the math in my head already. I mean, first off, I think I'd hope, given that this is ESPN, I'd hope, I know it's ESPN streaming service, but given the amount of money they're making on this and given who it is and the amount of coverage these events will get, you'd hope that, I'm not saying they're going to put on pay-per-view events, of course, but you got to think it's got to be like Fox events, like earlier Fox events with like contender fights and good matches. With, like with 15 a year, though, that's a lot. I mean, that's. I'm trying to do the math right now because like, look, um... Because Fox was if, quarterly, if right? Every assuming, three months you get a Fox card and they could stack well, it up. So like, if they're going to do 13 pay-per-views still, which, God, okay. And then 15 ESPN Plus events. We're at 28 already. Um, And I don't know. I mean, it's going to be like, it's going to be like, they're going to commit to another like 15 somewhere else, aren't they? I, I think, gonna, I think what I like that you're alluding to, Bob, is that hopefully with ESPN kind of backing some of this, they promote the fights more, right? Because... I don't feel it's really fair when we kind of talked about like, ah, oh, these next three weeks, it's kind of garbage fights because the, the thing that's so fun about MMA is we don't know one of these garbage fights could be a fucking fight of the year. And we just don't know about it. We're not invested in any of these guys because we haven't been, they haven't been properly promoted. So I think my hope is, is that if a big machine like ESPN gets behind it, ESPN is getting who we all feel 
Ariel is the best journalism. I think it's criminal he's been stuck at MMA fighting for so long. Look, I love Vox Media. I think they have a lot of great websites that do a lot of good work. But Ariel's fucking top tier. He's running this sport. For him not to be on Fox, for him not to be hired by the UFC, for him not to be at ESPN, I think it's a travesty. So I think ESPN getting some of these people that really know how to hype up events and get people interested in it is a good sign, you know, and I don't know how much they're going to get into the marketing arm of it. If they're going to be able to go to Zufa entertainment or whoever it is with WM, is it WME or whatever the, the organization is now? I don't know if they're going to be like, look it, we're glad we have these 15 events, but we need to put some marketing value into this. We need to make these fights interesting for people. Hopefully I, I really hope that that is what happens. I feel like there's a lot of, incredible fighters that have interesting stories to tell that we're just not hearing and we're not engaged in their fights because I'm too built up in the noise of like, uh, I don't know any of these names. No one's ever talking about these guys. I don't know who to be excited for. You know, I, I feel like for people that follow the sport and do a podcast every week, we're like so out of the loop on not, not just, we know who the prospects are, but like the diamonds in the rough, there's just so much content that we can't sift through I feel we're being – I feel guys are sneaking up on us more so than they used to. Oh, I feel like we used to like – a motherfucker was good and like and, – and like leg, like I know Sergio Pettis. We know his brother. But like I knew who Sergio Pettis was for like three fights in Legacy. Well, it's just like the girl who beat Alexa Grosso. We kind of knew yeah. she was good. The The betting line told us she was good, but none of us were like – She's, she's probably going to beat Grosso because the, the odds makers are so favored in her. But I don't personally – I'm not invested in that – in that fighter, I know Alexa Grosso. I've seen her fight. I'm interested in seeing her fight. I don't know who this other person is. And it, it turns out, you know, she potentially could be a world beater, right? And we didn't really know because we haven't been exposed to it. And I, I think that's ultimately what, what I hope comes out of whatever deal they make. The big problem is there's too many cards. There's the roster so bloated. There's so many divisions. I need to kind of get kind of zeroed in and focused on what makes this card what makes this card appealing not just from the top fight but all the way through why do i care about who's mainlining the prelim card you know give me something to yeah and like and like and like i know we like we trash on bellator but fuck man like i can't like i like i mean stefan i've said my happy number is basically every other week like give me every other week i'd be okay with this in general like don't give me 40 cards a fucking like year you give me 24 to 26 okay like that's i can deal with that and we're got we're at 28 right now unless they're lowering the number of pay-per-views which would be fucking wonderful but i, I mean they're pay-per-view business why the fuck would they do that so i can't i mean we, you've talked we talked about we're having the same conversation we always have about being less interested but i just i don't want i want to be able to be a big fan of this and know what's coming you know what i mean i want to be able to get excited about Dominic Reyes before he wins four in a row or some shit or like does Mark mention Tatiana Suarez or man I don't know I remember like all these guys who fighting like in Legacy and all these other like or Lance Palmer used to be a guy I knew about in Legacy and he never made it to the UFC but the guys who are on the independent scene we heard about and I want to be able to at least be able to think a little bit about guys who aren't in the UFC and I guess they could give a shit huh? <laughs> I mean, more or less, like you said, we, we've all we've been over this over and again. And, and I basically, you know, I'm just going to second everything you guys have said, you know, just a, a, like another take I agree with is it's the myth of uh, a fighter being UFC level. There's so many damn fighters now. Like, I don't know. There's a, there's a certain bunch of when X guy fights Y guy. I don't know if you're UFC level because I don't know who either of you are. You know, we've had a proliferation. We've had an increase of fighters with no Wikipedia pages, as we say, showing up in this organization. So 
there's there's plenty of room to do less shows you know it's it's a rarity when cards are loaded but that's what generates excitement cards there we're, we're familiar with a sport that's not like boxing right where boxing you're really just paying for the main event with mma we're kind of used to wanting to watch the whole card including the undercard and the only way to get that back is to have less you know you need time to build these people so again i i agree with everything you guys say the only thing i just wanted to chime in um kind of about that that the uh tv deal discussion I agree with everything Mark said about why the WWE is going to make more money, but here's what I don't understand. $1 billion is a whole lot of money to pay to put something on a Friday. Yeah. Friday, that's the part where Friday dead Even in the, in the glory days of live TV Friday is where shows go to die. Why are you paying a billion dollars to air something on a Friday night? Fox used to air. Uh, that was the, we got an attractive female lead in her twenties, uh, place you put fox would put shows well put jessica alba and dark angel on there i do i I do i mean from our childhood i think if you target a certain audience friday isn't a horrible day if you remember tgif was a huge success because i I think mostly that was targeted for a younger audience that wasn't going out you know if if you were going out when you're you know 11 10 11 12 it's usually to your friend's house to watch TGIF. You know, there's a certain market that that works for, and it might work with WWE because they can skew a little bit younger. I do feel though that what WWE has is that they do have a large young audience, but they also have a much older audience too. I think their audience kind of, the breadth of their audience is a little more varied than UFC, which I think UFC, because of the violent nature of it, I I think it's totally you know, find that, you know, 18 and up is kind of where people get more interested in the UFC potentially because it's a very violent sport. If I have a child and I want to slowly integrate them into the violence of the world, UFC is not something I'm going to throw at them when they're 10, 11, 12. Pro wrestling is though, right? Because very shortly thereafter, they figure out that it's kind of fixed and it's all about the fun and no one's really, I mean, people are, are really getting hurt, but the intention isn't really there. It's it's all for entertainment's sake. So I think, um, you know, WWE I mean, it's does TV, skew- It's TV PG, man. It's TV PG. They're, they're not, this exactly. wasn't just a flight of fancy. Um, this was them recognizing they were getting their lunch money taken from MMA and they had to gear towards kids. Yeah. Now taking advantage of that. That all being said, I still 100% agree with stuff. I think Friday is a really bad night to put this on and to spend that amount of money to put it on that night just seems weird, right? Like, why not? Th- when did SmackDown leave Thursday? Because I think a Monday, Tuesday hits way too much. was, when we were kids, it was always taped on Tuesday and aired on Thursday. Sure, and at yeah, one yeah. point, it got buried on Fridays, which very clearly was like the secondary show. This is weird. And then it kind of got like revived up until Tuesday. And it's been doing well, quite frankly. I mean, it's kind of been like the darling of the internet yeah. show based I mean, on what they put on it. For me, so. I, don't, I don't watch the product, right? So I this doesn't really carry any weight. It's just like, there, like you said, Bobby, I think, is Raw three or is it four hours? It's three hours. That's a long time. I'm gonna tell you right now, SmackDown. Whatever I watch, but watch them make SmackDown for a billion dollars. SmackDown's about to be three hours too. And and it's not just three hours. It's three hours with commercials, you know. And these guys do cut to commercials fairly often, so it's a long three hours on TV. Uh, so I mean, I, I know for me, I like when I we were watching pro wrestling. I liked having a couple day break to kind of you watch Raw, and the next day you go to school, and then we talk about it, and then we have kind of like what we're talking about with the UFC, right? You need some breather room, so you have Tuesdays the day you talk about Raw, Wednesdays the day you get excited for SmackDown, you see SmackDown on Thursday, and then Friday at school you talk about what happened, 
And then the whole week, you kind of have a cycle of talking about pro wrestling with your friends. Those are what we did when we were in like middle school and high school. Um, having on Friday is very weird. Um, I would imagine that they crunch the numbers, right? And they're like, this is a good time that we can get more viewers. And maybe, maybe if they did it on Thursday, they would get more viewers, but it would cut into other shows that did pretty good too. I mean, I'm not a TV exec. You have to imagine there's some logistics for like, this is going to pay out for us because we're probably going to get more viewers on Fridays than we were before. Who knows? I mean, but it's interesting. And ultimately, you know, it, these are two kind of franchises that um, we're both kind of, we're all kind of invested in to a certain degree. So it's good that, you know, as cable television has been getting slaughtered by the internet, streaming, video on demand, YouTube, there's so many, you know, entertainment opportunities out there to see cable not just completely die and cut off these avenues, right? UFC, Bellator, uh, WWE. It's good that they're kind of adopting and seeing that like, oh, these are actually extremely valuable because now the sitcoms that we have don't really hit as hard as they used to because of video on demand and streaming services, having a live event carries a lot more weight on it. So it, it's bringing our sport into more prominence. It's unfortunate right now that it's not really hot, right? We don't have a lot of hot stars that are really moving the needle, but uh, it'll come. It always does, right? There's always been this ebb and flow. There's always down years where it seems like nothing's going on. And then we'll have another Conor McGregor. You know, someone will come out of the woodwork and either it's based on their skill or their charisma, they'll become a star. So we'll just have to wait for that next one. Oh, Bob. You're uh, you're silent. Sorry, I was gonna say let's get into these fight cards a little bit because God is my witness, we're not gonna have an hour and a half show with these fucking fight cards. We're gonna talk about this shit real quick. Um, this is my Bellator 200 uh preview. Uh, there's no main event because um, uh, what's his name got hurt? Krokop got hurt, which apparently that was the main event against Roy Nelson. But what the actual main event is? Gegard Mousasi versus Rafael Carvalho. Not bad. That's not bad. I mean, I've seen Carvalho had one of the worst fights I've ever seen in my fucking life when he fought uh, Melvin Manhoff, but he's had some good ones too. Uh, Gegard's going to whoop that ass. I, I would think probably. so. It seems like a good yeah. fight for him to get that belt and uh, really make waves. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of meh on this card. Uh, Michael Page is fighting uh, David Rickles, which is a tough fight. Don't know why it's not Paul Daly, but whatever. Yeah. Like, you got Bobby, do, do my grading system with Bellator. It's on a big curve. Like, this card's not great, but for Bellator, pretty fucking good. Pretty I, think if it's good. I think Bellator 200 should be in this country and given a much bigger attention. I mean, and, yeah, you know I what? think you're right. 200 is kind of a big number to have, I mean, like, a big tentpole event, and they're kind of just – it's good. It's a good card. You know, I, I just want to point card, out but. that this is airing on a Friday from the U.K., and it is not going to be live. Well, and I mean, the UFC yeah. is airing from the U.K., and it's going to be fucking live because it's a goddamn sports. You know, you got to show sports live. Um, it's going to be like 10 a.m. What's going to be on What's going to be on Spike, man? Cops or infomercial? I'm going infomercial. I'm going infomercial. Uh, 10, That's what I got. 10 a.m. is late enough that you get out of the infomercials go until like 8 at the latest. Okay, I'm going Ink Master. Ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> I'm going Pawn Star. Is that on that channel? I'm, I'm going to go with oh, uh, Bar Rescue. No, it's going to be a movie. Do they even have at any At 10 a.m.? On a Friday? It's Paramount. All they do is movies. Probably going to be Top Gun. <laughs> they that's might just start The Expendables over again. That's a fair assessment, too. <laughs> they're going to they're gonna play uh, all The Expendables, but they're going to do two, one, and then three. <laughs> um, Phil Davis versus Linton Vassal. I guess they told Linton, like, hey, man, if you're going to get, you know, gorilla fucked by somebody, at least you're at home. So he's from the UK. So he can get a nice, you know, 
We're at home. And then uh, Anastasia Yanakova is fighting on this card. I'm just naming people Wikipedia pages at this point. Um, she's got a couple wins in Bellator, I think. Oh, she's 5-0. Oh, 3-0 in Bellator. So, yeah. Um, this is happening. It's something. Uh, UFC is happening this Sunday morning, I believe, because it's Memorial Day uh, this week. They always do that Sunday mm-hmm. card. I mentioned that it got real thin. So, quite frankly, I'm just going to talk about the main event. Uh Wonderboy Thompson, Darren Till, Stefan, we've been talking about this shit for months. We were real excited for it. Kind of hoping it'd be a better card around it, but... Woo! Really throwing Darren Till in the fire here in his hometown, huh? Uh, Yeah, I ordained this fight. And, um, you know, rightfully so, Stephen Thompson is the favorite. It looks pretty slight right now. Uh, almost a coin flip. I'm seeing 160. Uh, Stephen Thompson minus, or plus 140 to Darren Till, but I think it's a, it's a close fight, and... You know what? Due to recency bias, I am riding that uh, Darren Till bandwagon, that hype train. Uh, He's got a lot of power. I know Thompson was finishing people, too, but uh, I loved Darren Till's brutality in calling out and then annihilating Donald Cerrone. So I just want new blood. You know, it's better for fans for Darren Till to win this fight. Yeah, I like Wonderboy Thompson quite a bit. And he actually, I mean, as we mentioned many times, he trained with a friend of mine uh, back when they were kids. You know, they trained at uh wonder boy's dad's school actually but honestly i don't need him near the title and right now though tyron woodley's still champion so i hope darren till wins marcus i mean i think you're with us on this yeah no i mean yeah exactly i i i honestly i think thompson is gonna win but i agree with you uh bobby it's all kind of tainted and it sucks when you have like the number one contender guy that just can't beat the champion and it's just like what do you do with this guy you just feed him more contenders so he just fucks up you know their shot it's a really tough position to be in it's where rich was with anderson it's where claudia was with joanna it's just uh, dc with john jones right uh but i think this is going to be this is a fun fight and i think distance i think thompson's going to get it on the decision I, I have a feeling that it might not be the most exciting fight because he might just kind of dictate the pace and not let darren till kind of get off but I also think Darren Till could just come out like a fucking berserker and just smoke uh, Thompson real quick just with an unbridled aggression. But it's a fun fight on paper and sorely what this card needs, right? Because there's not a lot to kind of support it underneath. It needs a strong main event because there's no support here. You might be going there anyways, Bob, but like another reason for Till to win, you got a guy in his hometown and that makes a guy look like a star. You know, you could get, I don't know how well these cards do on these Memorial Day weekends, to be honest, but a big win from Darren Till in his hometown, home country, that guy, that could launch that guy to the moon, like if he wins impressively. So that's that's something else I'm, I'm hoping for this weekend. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, um, I really thought they, I really thought when they were building this thing, this was going to be like a, like the Dublin card, you know? Really get a bunch of guys from the area and make it big. And I don't know. Maybe that was their intention. I mean, I they have point. some. There's some English. I mean, at one point but... their intention was. To, I mean, I guess Darren Till's not Conor McGregor either. But like, I know that their intention was. I know uh, there was a point where people thought Michael Bisping was going to retire on this card, and then Neil Magny. If you gave me put that on there, you also had Neil Magny still fighting, uh, Gunnar Nelson, which I thought was who Till should have been fighting. Which thankfully they didn't book that because Gunnar Nelson's uh, hurt. Um, it could have been a little something more. So. It's it's not that big, but I will say, uh, looking at the card, there is another prospect worth watching on this card, and that's Arnold Allen. Um, we've seen him before, and he's he's worth watching. So uh, I th- it 
I don't, is he main card or top of the undercard? I, I, I think he's a main card. I mean, another guy is not bad, quite frankly, is uh, he lost to Aaron, Arnold Allen was uh, Mach 1 Amir Khani. Right. Got yeah. a lot of wins, too. So there's some places, there's some stuff here or there, but I mean, it's just in a, in this, it's, at this point, let's be honest, we're all getting ready for UFC Chicago. That's, yeah, that's they're all what, kind of preppers until then. We're all prepping. I mean, it's, it's CM Punk's coming back. That's the real star, guys. We're getting ready. I'm kidding. Um, yeah, so this is happening uh, Sunday morning at like 10 a.m., which means I can like eat lunch while this main event's, main event's happening, I think, like, like 12, 31 o'clock. I'm okay with that. Yeah, convenient. You know, ham sandwich and a bag of Lay's, you know, like a school lunch while watching fighting. Take care of that. Uh, all right, memoirs of a fight fan. Um, oh, at uh, some point during this show, uh, Fabricio Verdum is gonna f- got booked to face uh, Alexei Olenek. Um, All right. Just two, re- two real comment at UFC Moscow main event. Um, so just two, right. two quick comments. One of them is that if Alexei Olenek Ezekiel chokes Fabricio Verdum, I'm going to laugh so hard, like so. That'd be hilarious. Oh my god, I can't. I would not stop laughing. Second, I'm just gonna read exactly what Kareem Zidane who. God, this dude deserves credit for the journalism he puts together for Bloody Elbow, wrote, where he just said, the UFC has decided to use Verdum, a fighter affiliated with Chechen dictator Ramzan Kadyrov, as one half of their Moscow main event, which, yeah, we're still, we're not going to stop pointing that out. So, especially as he, the piece of shit defends it. Piece of shit in this case is Verdum. Um, memoirs of a fight fan. Marcus, you said it, your favorite post-fight, uh, I guess, celebration or speech. Um, I'm going to go real easy, um, which was uh, GSP begging for the title shot, which go is on. iconic. And pretty much anything GSP said after the fights are wonderful. But I love GSP more and more in a world of people being dicks just for the sake of being a dick when doing fighting. When, you know, everybody being a tail ripoff or a cup now, a shitty Covington and gentleman GSP just wanted a title shot, man. He begged for it. He got on his knees and he got it. And he became champion. It was wonderful. That's mine. Mark, what do you got? Uh, I mean, there's a lot to draw from. And I, when we were trying to think of something, I usually just like whatever pops into your head, right? Like what would be an interesting thing. But what I like about the victory celebration, what I was kind of referring to is that moment right after the victory, right? Like, right. Cause that is, Oh, I, I know and, exactly. And, I know exactly what Mark meant. I got two choices. for and, this. And, 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 and why I think it's interesting is because so much of what combat sports is, is like, these athletes at the rawest, right? And when they have that victory, that celebration is usually the most rawest feeling. Like I don't, some guys, yeah, I mean, and, and there's different plays on it, right? Some guys have a whole elaborate thing. I mean, I'm going to mention a bunch here, like Tito Ortiz did this whole pulling the grave out, burying the grave, doing a little dance from some nationality that the guy was. And I, I think we can all agree when he uh, beat Ryan Bader, when he was, you know, five, five fights. When we all lost our minds. Yeah, and just and just seeing him get to do that one more time was really fun. Um, a couple of ones I just wanted to to point out, and they're not pride ones, right? Isn't that weird? Um, I liked uh, Jose Aldo. I think when he beat Chad Mendez, is that the one he ran into the uh, audience? I thought that was yeah, awesome. that was incredible. I mean, he cheated a whole bunch before that, but yeah, that was yeah. Moment. I mean, he hit him late. I mean, there's all kinds of bullshit, but that was just it is. It's something that's not really like you see that in sports. People go into the crowd, if, you know, somewhat frequently, but you never saw that in the UFC, and it just seemed extra special right he was in his home country 
that was really cool. And then sometimes you get the weird, right? Like uh, when Romero beat, uh, was it Chris Weidman? And he did, is it called the goose stepping? The very nice. Yeah, he was, like, my man was goose stepping. It was real <laughs> very, awkward. Very awkward, <laughs> but very hilarious. And, uh, but then one of my ones I really liked, uh, Takunomi Gomi, when he would fight in uh, Pride and Shuto, every time he would win, he would climb on the top turnbuckle and he'd have one foot on the turnbuckle and then one foot on the post. And he would kind of, I, I, call, I always called it ring surfing. So he looked very uneven up there. He's always like trying to keep his balance and stuff. But uh, it was it was always a cool little moment. And uh, there's so many of those. And, and like I said, I think they're so special because it's usually like unbridled joy. You know, the so much work and effort goes in. You're fighting so hard in the fight. And just when you when you land that punch, kick, submission, and all that hard work comes to fruition, just to see them celebrate in whatever they do is always kind of an interesting way to see how people express themselves. So, Okay. Now that I know what you actually meant, I got something better. But, Stefan, you go. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of have three quick ones. Uh, honorable mention will go to uh, Roy Nelson when he gets on the cage and he just rubs his big fat rubs belly. Rubs the belly. That's a good one. <laughs> rubs the big fat belly. You know, hey, it's, it's a guy who's got the shtick. He, he owns it. You know, kind of like Vulcan does, you know. I, I love a good shtick that you kind of recur um, number two, I'm gonna go old school with it. I thought Mark might uh, toss it out. Carlos Newton, um, oh, from classic. the old, much older days of UFC, like black dude who had like the mini dreads, he had a flashy style. I think he was the Neo Samurai, right, Mark? Like Mike would have loved him because his victory celebration was it wasn't just a fireball; it was the Kamehameha. He yelled it out loud. <laughs> I mean, I think when we were kids back then, that's when Dragon Ball was on Toonami, like. I was getting that like every day. So that I was at the height just to have that guy do that. You know, it's part of why we love Marcus Brimage was because of his, you know, also additional mutual love and admiration of Dragon Ball Z. So that was a good one. Um, and number one, just because it's always the most visceral one in my head. And that is Joe Daddy losing to BJ Penn. That's BJ Penn. Damn it. Licking the gloves. Because, you know, he, he did it Damn a lot. Damn it, Stefan. Damn it. I mean, I knew the answer. Oh, you had to know when I was going here. Like, it's the visceral one to me. He always licked his gloves in victory the way, he, you know, he licked his hands. Because, you know, it would normally just be sweat. It, it, it wouldn't. But but the one where it happened to be Joe Daddy and the man straight licked his victim's blood. It's, it's, it's barbaric. It's grotesque. But it is, at the same time, most primally amazing in a sport like this and at that time that that happened. So that's just the one that's forever ingrained in my head. Stefan, I'm the BJ Penn mark on this show. God damn it. Um, it's not my was, fault you went for GSP. Yeah, I, dude, I didn't know we were bike. going. Yeah, my bad. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was thinking about it. Pretty much any time BJ Penn f like, finished a fight, some shit happened, man. I thought it the was Sean Shirk one was good because he had to go back over to him and smear get blood, the blood on his face. Yeah. Like, All right, dude. The don't, don't go touch the, the Diego other guy. one was good too because he opened a canyon in Diego's head and licked the blood. I love BJ Penn. So, yeah, BJ Penn was one of my things I was going to say. And um, I like when Quentin Howes, when Rampage Howes. Mm, yep. That makes me happy. Like when he finally knocked out Ram uh, Vanderlei and gave him a couple extra punches, he probably didn't have to, but he just stood in the middle of the cage with his hands like. He's holding his fist near the like his waist still, but they're like clenched in rage and he's kind of shaking and he just howls at the moon. I mean, that's awesome. And it, there's so, there used to be a lot more of this, man. Remember Chuck Liddell, like his whole thing running around the little cage? X, and, he does the X yeah. and then he does a little shimmy. Yeah, the whole, yeah, I mean, everybody used to have, like, a lot of these guys used to have things I mean, like Connor this, has so. it. He's got his Billy Walk, the fan in the money. He's got, he's got multiple. Mm, that's true. Yeah, he does the money. Oh, when he was fanning the money over Jose Aldo's corner. That was a good one. <laughs> 
Um, I have a dishonorable mention I wanted to toss in there, and that goes to um, upcoming title challenger. Uh, crap, why am I? Uh, you know, the, no for gay Jesus. Why did I just blank on his name? Even though I'm trying to mention Romero. Him? You are Romero. Romero. Uh, dishonorable mention for uh, getting immediately up in Luke Rockhold's face, not letting him off oh, of the yes. cage after he's been concussed, and then kissing him. Dishonorable mention to you, sir. So awkward. <laughs> That was so uncomfortable, man. I really like back to BJ Penn real quickly. I just like people are gonna see him when he's like his record is like fourteen and twelve, and they're gonna wonder like, what the fuck was Why? this guy such a big deal? You guys are so but, like, stupid. man. When he that, one of my favorite things ever was Bloody Elbow. I had a little gallery. People before and after fighting BJ Penn, the, like how fucked up their faces were. Man it was a lightweight wrecking faces. Just saying. Um, and then um, let's do stuff we like. Um, I I have nothing besides Deadpool. So we should we just talk about Deadpool? Does anybody want to say something besides we talk about Deadpool? Uh, I got stuff besides Deadpool. You go first, then. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, first, I wanted to mention, I mentioned it when it came out uh, just about a month ago. I finally beat God of War this weekend. Um, that game is fucking amazing. Uh, you know, as I was playing it, I was realizing that all the 10s and high 9s and a meta score of like... 93 or whatever were completely valid um but beating it actually seeing the story to completion is just uh such an amazing experience and not only that like there's still stuff to do after you're done and that game is just so fun to play that even though i'm done with the story i'm still very much interested in wrapping up some of the threads that i didn't get to finish so um but going on to games that are actually coming out this week uh the big one for ps4 is uh detroit become human this is from the guys that did Heavy Rain and then more recently Beyond Two Souls. They do very narrative-driven games, kind of like the more recent uh, Until Dawn, where you're basically playing as different characters, making choices within these scenes, and those choices kind of have ripple effects throughout the narrative. Um, yeah, I'm really excited. This one has to do more with uh, kind of androids and as they become more self-aware and want to become humans. You know, well-treaded territory, but it'll be interesting to see their kind of take on it. Um, and then last week... I kept thinking there was something I wanted to mention. I couldn't remember what it was. And of course, after the show, I remembered what it was. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I stumbled upon, uh, there's a Kickstarter for a board game based on Hellboy. And my fiance, Christine, is a huge Hellboy fan. Um, I, I've seen the movies and I always enjoyed them, but I never really gave much of a deep dive uh, into the comics. And backing this uh, game, they it's been crushing it. I mean, if you're interested in a Hellboy board game, if that's kind of up your alley, I really encourage you to go check it out on Kickstarter. Um, they've obviously have already met their funding for the campaign, and now it's just been stretch goals, which they've just been constantly killing. Um, and that's what's kind of these stretch goals is ultimately what got me so interested to start reading the comics, which I've really been enjoying. You know, the stretch goals kept unlocking new people, new characters that have been in the stories. And I was like, and these characters look really cool. I've always liked the kind of premise of Hellboy. And Christine's such a mega fan. We have all the books here. I was like, oh, I'm going to start reading through some of them. So I think I've read the first two graphic novels, and I'm like halfway through the third. And man, I just really, that is just a fantastic comic. And I always tell Christine, I always think it's kind of funny. I've been uh, one of the local comic shops here in the East Bay uh, in the Dublin Concord area is Flying Colors. I've been going there for years. And kind of one of my stupid goals was at some point I was going to go there so frequently. I wanted to kind of know my name. And kind of like, oh, hey, Mark, how's it going? And, you know, I've been going there for so long that, you know, I have they pull a bunch of comics from me every week. Um, most of them know me uh, by my first name. But it never fails to astonish me 
that anytime I pick up a comic for Christine, like I'm like, oh, she'll like this Hellboy issue. I'll get this. Or when I buy comics and then Christine buy, buys comics right after me, they always comment on how good her comic selection is. And they never said that about any of the shit I read. Never go like, oh, fuck, you're reading the Avengers. That's good, man. There's always like, Christine goes like, oh, you're getting that new Hellboy. That's, this is really good. I was like, they never compliment me on my fucking comic choices, but they always love the shit Christine gets with good reason. Now I'm seeing why, Rex. I'm reading Hellboy and it's really good. And uh, yeah, if you're, if you're into Hellboy, man, Look at this fucking board game because there's minis out the ass on this thing and they keep adding more and more to it. Uh, and it's always fun. I mean, me, me and Steph have backed a few things on Kickstarter. I don't, Bobby, have you ever backed anything on Kickstarter before? I don't think. I backed a video game on Fig. Oh, okay, that's um, similar. Which I, I I was just looking. I'm like, I'm like it was the Jay and Silent Bob. They're putting out a game, like a side-scrolling oh, okay. game. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. And I'm just like, when the fuck is this coming out? I just looked it up oh, now. It's it, like Q4 2019. I'm like, all right. Yeah, sure. It, it takes a long time. I mean, you're really paying like a down payment to pay off years in advance. But what's cool is yeah. they give you the um, you know, the updates on how the game's going, which you usually don't get unless you know you're like kind of in games journalism. Uh yeah, but just watching all these stretch goals get knocked down and be like, oh, this character looks kind of cool. He's got a jetpack and this weird beast I never seen of. And there's one is just called the the mini is just called He's got a gun and it's a monkey with a revolver. And I'm like, there's got to be a weird story with this monkey and a gun. So uh, I'm really, and, and just actually reading the stories, it's like, man, this is a really good fucking comic. You know, they, they really respect their audience. And unlike a lot of comics, the first graphic novel, there's no fucking backstory in how Hellboy, you know, watching the movie, I knew how Hellboy kind of came to be, but they don't waste any of the time. They're just right into the action. You're already embedded with this dude and his crew. And you can just tell there's a lot of history already there that you don't know about. And you kind of get snippets of it as you go through the story. But just, man, fantastic writing, uh, wonderful art, fantastic premise. Uh, really digging Hellboy right now. Deadpool time? Um, I got a quick one. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, it actually came out on Mother's Day, but uh, I got together with a couple of my friends and watched it this past weekend. Um, a comedian who I uh, personally like, uh, she put out her second special on Mother's Day on Netflix, mm -hmm. uh, Ali Wong. Yeah, I was gonna and, thought you were going to go that way. Yeah, um, her first one, Baby Cobra, was a hit star. And um, the set that she did for the second special, I actually saw her in person in San Francisco. Right, was it, was it um, that set that she was working yeah, out? Yeah, so that was the set she did. Uh, it was funny because when uh, she did it in San Francisco, which is also her hometown, so it's part of why I like her, is I can totally hear her Bay Area accents when she goes into certain stories. Um, she was had just announced to us that she had found out she was pregnant, but uh, in this special, she's fully showing again, just like she was in her Baby Cobra special. So it seems like annually her tradition is to be pregnant and put out a special on Mother's Day. So uh, depending on how big of a family she wants, we'll see how many specials we get. But it was another knockout of the park. Uh, I think she's hilarious. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's pretty much a played out meme now that, that girls aren't funny. But I think Ali Wong is, I think she's really good. You know, there, there aren't a lot of uh, really well-known uh, women stand-up comedians. And I think she's very deservedly so. Um, love her humor. Love the special. Love the show when I saw it. Enjoyed it again watching it on Netflix. Yeah, I was going to ask you if second viewing, you know, I mean, because look at jokes land the hardest the first time. When you see it again, you kind of know where the premise is going. You know, they don't land quite as good. But second viewing, still just as good. Did she have any still material that she... That was new to you after that she kind of worked in maybe actually she, being she modified too. some things, you know, mm -hmm. um, in San Francisco, there was a little more crowd work because it was her hometown. You know, she could make more references to things that would be very topical to us specifically. So 
Um, the, those kind of generalized things were played down a little bit, but no, the, the jokes still hit. Um, cool. You know, cause cool. it, the thing is, it's where comedy, you know, if you talk a lot about a lot about current, very current events, that's how you date yourself, right? You make a reference to a president. Suddenly that looks old a term or two later, sure. but when you just kind of talk about life in general and life as, you know, her, for her life as an Asian woman, life as a new mom, you know, like these are things that are just going to be perpetual. So a, a, a good chunk of it is, you know, she's pregnant with her second child. A, a lot of this act is kind of her uh, newfound discoveries about having a first time child, you know? So it's a big, well, yeah, I watched moment. this. I actually watched this also. I, uh, cause I liked the first one quite a bit as well. And I thought this was really good. Also, I think I probably leaned slightly towards the first one, mostly because like I'm just like we're gonna talk about it in Deadpool too. Quite frankly, we're like it's the first one, so I didn't like I literally didn't know anything about her. There's a newness the to it. You, yeah, exactly. You have expectations. But I thought I thought I thought she um I thought she did great and um mm -hmm. uh, she killed it. It was great to see and uh, yeah, it's like you don't see a lot of a lot of female com female comics don't get a lot of love, you know. And there's some great ones out there. You know, she's wonderful. Wanda Sykes is fucking great. This is you know. I, Chelsea, uh, not good. That I Peretti, Peretti, uh, you know, I mean, what's her name was having big career, big stuff going on before this last special kind of bombed, but I mean, Amy Schumer. Oh, Schumer was, like, was yeah. I mean, did this, well, yeah, you know, tailspin a little yeah, bit, you know. But like, still, like, there's like, you know, it's good to see some, you know, attention going on there. So, yeah, um, cool. Deadpool two, yeah. Um, Chimichangas. <laughs> yeah, man, the, the, the amount of fake chimichanga commercials before us seeing the movie, and I think this might be related to us seeing it where we saw it yeah. at the Alamo Draft House. That's I don't you think like, those were fake chimichanga commercials. No, they. I don't think they were fake at all. Okay, I mean, I mean not fake, but like twenty-year-old chimichanga commercials. Yeah, Let's go like with that. Twenty-year-old Bobby. Yeah, we're talking like thirty. Oh god, <laughs> like, yeah, thirty. Okay, real old school. It's where chimichanga. See, for 39 cents <laughs> Man, so we, we, were at, we were at a movie theater serving food and they were serving chimichangas and in the com in these commercials they're like get a chimichanga with beef for a buck 99 and i'm looking at this movie theater with their bean and cheese chimichangas three for 1050 i'm like it's a fucking ripoff this this dude up here selling them for two dollars um yeah movie itself um I, it was a lot like the first one, but not in a bad way. It's just like the tone was there, and it made me laugh a ton. And there was a bunch of shit I didn't see coming, a bunch of like you know surprises and stuff. And uh, yeah, I mean, it doesn't require a lot of analysis necessarily, I think. But like, I thought Ryan Reynolds was great. I was, you know, I thought Cable was fun, you know, in general. And then there was and the I star. Wish... The star of the show. Who's your star? Oh, it was Domino. Easy. She fucking okay, yeah. All right. She destroyed yeah. that movie. I, she fucking yeah, I was gonna say, I mean, like, I, all over I'm that happy shit. I'm not the only one just shilling for Atlanta, which yeah, Zazzy Beats, who plays uh Vanessa on Atlanta, um played uh Domino on this and she was fucking great. Um and I'll say it now, I wish there was more Negasonic Teenage Warhead. Yeah, that really under I probably the most underutilized character, especially in like action sequences, didn't really get a lot of love. But I mean they had kind of an arc with her and you know her coming out as you know a lesbian and that was all nice and good especially because deadpool kind of plays into the um lgt b right community that's the thing i got all the, got all the uh, uh there's, there's a there's a few more letters now but yeah well sure yeah. they're always adding on and you know sorry if, if i offend um but uh yeah i mean but really for me it was just like 
she she stole all the scenes, you know. And th there's a lot of little joke. And I, I think I think ultimately, I think maybe we all I I, I didn't really get uh, talk to Steph too much about it, but I felt like this movie. We talked about it, Bob. Like it kind of felt like Guardians too. Like it was good, solid, fun film. But the first one, you didn't really know what to expect, and when it hit as hard as it did, it just kind of blew you away. And then now it's like I come in, and I was like, okay, my socks already blown off, man. What are you gonna do here? And they still had a great. It was a really fun movie. It's just once the socks are blown off, you can't really blow them off again, right? It's really hard to top yourself. Um, but I still had a really fun time. I thought Cable was great. Uh, I loved all the Terminator. I mean, it had a the movie had a very Terminator esque vibe to it, which oh yeah, it was Terminator as hell, yeah. <laughs> which I mean is I get, and I think the over over are, and I, I will probably talk about some minor spoilers here. So if you haven't seen it yet, don't want to get spoiled. Uh, I would advise maybe not to listen to this section, watch the movie, come back and listen to it. But I think his plot device was, I mean, in the there's like there's a reason in the comics that Cable and Deadpool kind of like gel together. Because essentially, Cable has a disease, and Deadpool's immune to everything. That they they kind of like, oh, if I had what you had, I wouldn't have to get all these weird injections, and I wouldn't be half cyborg and shit like that. And they kind of went with a different way with it. It's basically like this fat mutant just becomes a terror and kills Cable's family. And I was like, all right, okay, that's, that's revenge is always a good plot device. But it was just kind of like I didn't know that's ultimately because I didn't. I mean, what they did a good job was like I had no idea where the narrative was gonna go at all. Like before the movie happened. I knew that there there was prison scenes and cable comes. I didn't really, and I knew cable was kind of the bad guy in a way, but didn't really know how that kind of all worked together. But uh, yeah, it was really cool. I thought it was cool when he uh, he made the weapon. Like he, I like that scene where he's in his his hotel room. It, it all reminded me of very Terminator esque. I almost want him to go to a gun shop and kill the guy and take a bunch of guns. But he's there and he's kind of taking the pieces apart, and making his futuristic uh, weapon, and it has the little. Uh, uh, the turn lock as like his gauge for like power or whatever. It was, just, it, it was cool. There's there some there's little fun things hidden throughout there. But I mean, for me, it was it was all domino. Like I think she just killed it. Um, her action sequences were the funnest. Her character was like the snarkiest. And I and I think one of the best scenes was probably the whole X Force scene, right? Because we kind of knew going into this that they're gonna have X Force. I mean, the trailers basically show them kind of gearing up for it. And to kind of pull a MacGruber, which I didn't see at all. Did any of you guys anticipate that they do a MacGruber and just everyone basically dies off? Like I really didn't. I, the, the only, the only I, one for me was sorry. I just uh, I, I saw I saw it coming because uh, by the time they jumped out, they had mentioned how windy it was going to be four times. Yeah, there was some. And so once <laughs> I'm like I'm like they're really I'm like they're setting it up that they're, they're like something's going to go wrong with the landings, but for all of them to have something, I didn't see that coming. Just the amount and uh, yeah. You talked about spoilers because I, I got to mention it. The, the the Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt as Vanisher, that was yeah. one of my big super pops. subtle. Very that quick. was one of my. Oh, it was, I lost it on it that. It was not even a full second, but that's how iconic that man's face is. That as soon as it flashed, I was like, oh shit! Like that was fun. They they got good cameos in this. That was the upside to the sequel is the upgrade in budget. It allowed them to get a little bit more in there, so that was pretty good. Yeah, and they did great at the box office, and uh, yeah, I mean, for me, I was like, it wasn't so much the whole X Force thing, but I'm just like, Terry Crews is like the third most famous person in this movie, and he has done like no media. Like I haven't seen yeah, one thing with like Terry Crews hyping this movie. I'm like, he is not long for this flick. That's all I. I'm like, I don't know about the rest of them, but Terry Crews is not gonna live long in this motherfucker. Um, yeah, Stefan. Um, I mean, you want to give your overall thoughts? Because I, sure. I, yeah, I said what I want to say. I thought it was a, I thought it was a good time, and um. 
when they iced Morena uh, Bakarin at the beginning, I was like, oh, no. But, you know, I like her. So she was still in the rest of the movie. They iced her, but she, yeah, she still kind of had a yeah. through the storm yeah. where she made appearances. I mean, I agree with a lot of what you guys said. You know, visually, I think that's the one thing where they did really up their game. Uh, you know, the way they shot things, the way they designed things was really, really great. Uh, Mark mentioned all the cable stuff. And especially with Domino, her superpower is luck. You know, if you were to just say that out loud, you're like, what does that mean? Like, how do we tell, how do we tell, how do we show the power of luck in a dynamic way? And, and they have that conversation they, too, yeah. right? Like Deadpool like doesn't believe it, right? And that's kind of, that's what makes it so fun too, is you as the audience is like, well, that that's not a thing. And he's, and that's the whole, that's whole, that's Deadpool shtick in a vacuum, right? Is like, he is you. He is the audience. He's he verb, you know, he basically verbicates the stuff that you're thinking in your head. And that's what made that that's what made that dynamic so fun, right? It was just like he didn't believe in it either. And then you see it, and it's just like, oh, this is fucking awesome. Um, yeah, so that was really good. I will say a commentary, um, one of the YouTube uh uh critics I like, um, Grace Randolph, uh, she made a comment. She was very familiar with the character Domino. I just thought it was interesting. Um, she said she did not like Zazie Beat's choice to play the character very carefree. Where she kind of explained her like, yeah, just things kind of work out for me, you know. Like she kind of had it just like, I, you know, it'll it'll just kind of work out like in a kind of like oblivious whole way. She said Domino in the comics is a very uninhibited character because she knows she has luck, so she thought Zazzy Beats might play it that way, where it's like you know everything's gonna work out, so you're not afraid to do anything. Like you'll jump out that window without thinking twice because you know it's gonna work out. It, it, but so it's just a different way to play it. But that was just something commentary because I wasn't super familiar with the um, character. Um, I give props to the kid. Because um, one thing I thought he did well is, um, it's kind of sad to say this, I thought he played being an abused child well. Um, where you could see he was doing bad things, but in these moments, you know, he was wanting to pick fights, but you, in the same time, you could kind of see he has like a heart of gold. Like, it, 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 it was played in a non-hokey way, I thought. Like, you know, he just wanted to be friends with someone, right? Even though he was cussing and talking like a rapper or trying to, you know, pick fights or stab someone. Like, kind of these punk, like, at, like you know, delinquent tendencies. But you could tell, like, he was just searching for a friend. So in that aspect, I thought it hit. Um, overall, I agree with everything you liked. I, my critique of the film is it's kind of the strength, the gift and the curse of this film is it's very sarcastic it's very nihilistic so sometimes when you try to pull like emotional cues they don't always hit um and i'll straight say it my issue with the movie was that deadpool wouldn't kill someone it's just so contrary to everything the character is that okay we've killed so many we've killed many innocent people We've killed many tangentially evilly people. And so now there's a really evil guy who's abusing a school full of children. But now we can't kill him. Like, I get it for a plot device, but it totally misses to me. Like, it doesn't, like, whether the, the stakes don't feel legitimate. So, because it's, it's who the character Deadpool is. You know, come Deadpool 3, there's going to be a lot of more gratuitous violence again. Going to be a lot more gratuitous killing again. So... I'm not sh off the top of my head. I don't have like an alternate idea of like how that should have played out to save the kid's soul, so to speak. But that being the solution, it didn't hit for me. So it's when yeah, that was supposed could, to feel serious. I was like, eh. Yeah, I could see that because watching the film, there was a lot of times I was like, okay, when is he just when is he going to give up on the crusade and just be like, okay, I tried and he just shoots him or something. 
Um, I mean, they they gave reasoning for why he didn't write. Like, basically, he thought it was his dead. Did they ever get married? I don't know if they did or not. I think it was boyfriend, girlfriend, but like his dead wife or his dead girlfriend's wish was for him to protect this child. So like, I, I do get like the motivational factor, like why he was doing that. But I did also think like, okay, when is enough enough? And he just kills this kid because he's obviously like doing everything in his power not to be saved. So, but yeah, I mean, ultimately I was one of those things at the end of the day, I really enjoyed myself. Um, I don't know if it, if it really, I didn't have like super high expectations, but the bar that the first one set was so high. And I don't know if this one really, like, I still think I prefer the first film over this one, even though I thought, I don't know. It's tough. It's, it's, it's really, you know, it's interesting. I was very, very excited for it, but I kind of knew this was probably going to be okay. Like I'm, I'm like, we're going to be all right. Like I wasn't too worried. Like I didn't think they were going to fuck it up. It was kind of like the way it's like guardians too, where I'm like, that'd be all right. They got this. Like, I didn't seem like they were going to swing for some weird, like, they were going to go for, like, a home run here and swing and miss yeah. and pitch in the dirt. Like, they know what they know where the tra- train is. They know where the tracks are. They'll be yeah. it's, it's, That was my impression. Yeah, same time for me, too. Like, I know the first time I see a film, I'm more judgmental on it. I'm a little harsher on it. And the more times I see it, because I think the first time, I, the anticipation, right, and my um, uh, expectations are so high when I first see the film and then after you get what you get, then I kind of then watching it again, knowing that like okay, this this is this is what the film is. You know, I can't put it on a pedestal. I, I shouldn't expect the world. I know what to expect coming in, and I can get the jokes a little bit more, and I can kind of you know just just have fun with the movie instead of kind of like looking at it and being like, oh, I didn't know if this is right or that was right or this could have been done better. Um, but overall, yeah, it was just really fun, and I. I hate that they did such a great Rick and Morty gag, and I didn't get it at all until Steph mentioned it with the little legs guy. And I was like, oh my God, that's just a Rick and Morty thing I did not catch at all. And, th- and it's sprinkled with little, um, you know, Easter eggs throughout. I did catch, like, I guess, um, what's his, uh, what's the villain, the X Men villain that who was running that academy? Because it's like Essex, Mr. Sinister, right? They keep oh, that's uh, this up in the background. Another- and. Sorry, that's another thing Grace ran, uh, that critic, she pointed out, which I thought the story arc they were doing is the Purifiers, which is a religious cult who hates mutants and wants to, like, cure them, who thinks of them, like, as a disease, which that that was the parable for homophobia. Right, yeah. Nathaniel Essex is uh, Mr. Sinister, who believes in genetic manipulation to create mutants. So they kind of mixed up. They said it's like you used an Easter egg, but you used it in the wrong way. It was weird. Like they, they, they keep in all these X-Men movies, which besides Deadpool, I don't really like any of them, to be honest. Like I've watched all of them. And then sometimes like after I watched first class and later I was like, you know what? That one was pretty good. And I watched it again. I was like, you know what? It's still not that good. Like I'm the bar's so low on those. And I know they're kind of been pushing this Mr. Sinister thing. And I noticed that in the school or Academy, or whatever it had that Essex or whatever. And I was like, okay, that's kind of tied to that. I don't know how or why, or if that's even, if it's just a little fun Easter egg, and I guess it is just a fun little Easter egg that ultimately didn't really add up to much. But yeah, overall, just had, had a fun time with the film. And I do kind of want to see it again, just because now that the expectations have been set and I kind of know what to expect, I think I will enjoy it a lot more in a second viewing. But Yeah, I will say uh, I liked it enough that I'd see it again, but I didn't like it enough to see it a ridiculous amount of times, a la Avengers and Black Panther. Yeah. Um, as Homer Simpson, the food critic, would say, I give it my lowest rating ever. Seven thumbs up. <laughs> All right. Uh, that's it for this week. Be back next week. Uh, we'll see if everybody sees Solo. Oh, so we'll great. talk about that. That's happening. Uh, 
Yeah, the Donald Glover hot streak continues, apparently. Um, we'll see how that goes out. But uh, if nothing else, we'll um, we'll talk. We're not going to f- do an entire preview show about this one-fight card in New York. But maybe we'll talk a little bit about the Chicago card because Marcus pointed out this is like a 10-fight deep card. Yeah, we might need to cut this bad need, boy up. We might, need, we might have spread it up. And God knows, man, we our podcast is just an hour and a half. I mean, I'm sorry, guys. Like this is I've just come to terms with it. We love like, this is how chatting, long- Bobby. <laughs> We love chatting no matter what, how important the fights are, how they aren't. We're talking for an hour and a half, guys. So I hope you have a commute. You spread this out. You know, we did it Um, once before where we picked the whole card. Is this card that worthy? I mean, we're we're not going to pick the whole thing. We're skipping some other cards. I think we might have to spread it out, though. Maybe pick half of the fights next week and how they're But it's strong enough. It could be a whole card pick. That would be kind of fun. I didn't even know we did that. I don't want to pick Rashad Evans and Anthony Smith. I'm going to get sad. Uh, Anthony all right, Smith. Back easy, next Bobby. week. Ah, so I'm gonna get sad. Um, we'll be back next week. Uh, talk about. We'll talk about this Jimmy Rivera Marlon Moraes fight because, quite frankly, winner of that fight really has a claim that to a fight's title good. shot. That's a good. That's fight. an excellent fight. Again, man, you piece that fight, the Thompson Till fight, that Usman thing, the uh, Tatiana Suarez fight. You know, good, maybe you made one good fight card you, out. You of all made this. one really good fight card. You know, but then again. Who am I? To, they're about to get Yeah, paid but sometimes it's just really oops all berries, but in a bad way. <laughs> there we go. Um, all right, guys. Back next week. Thank you all so much for listening. And if you have any ideas, be sure to hit us up at it's amazing or it's amazing at gmail.com with anything you want to give us for members of a fight fan or anything you want us to talk about. Or you can hit us up on Twitter at it's amazing. Um you could hit us individually up on Twitter, but that's not going to be as useful. At it's amazing on Twitter will be the place. The place that's the one you want. Um, go there. That's the one. Uh, we'll uh, we'll give you answers. So thank you all for listening, and see you next week. See ya. Peace out. Later.